0: Hello and welcome to Faux, Faux I'm Will Anderson and joining me, returning guest Charlie, Justin Hamilton after his fear and loathing tour de force, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore,
1: performance of last week uh, back, back to back I was really tempted to just like give you nothing for this one and just, you know, be really vague and be really at one with the universe that's not going to happen, why would I do that?
0: That would be a lie. You could PJ Harvey the shit out of it, you know, like just come back with some album that's just like she's (laughs) learned to play piano and all the songs are just piano songs. That's what you do this week.
1: I wish, um, yeah, it's it's all going to be poetry. It's all going to be lovely poetry.
0: Well, here's what I'm going to say. You can't be silenced, Justin, because what I've seen online from the response to the episode we did last week is the fact that you might be the leader of this new revolution. I feel like you have spoken truth to people about the abject misery that this year is. And Australia is so much luckier than a lot of other oh, places. Yeah. And everybody is going through this thing completely differently. But those of, those of us in this world who want to remember what we've been through or acknowledge that other people are still going through in the middle of it, are being vastly outnumbered by those who want to pretend that none of it ever happened. Here's 2020 wrapped up. 2021 is going to be fine, particularly here in Australia when at the moment of recording this, we have zero uh, COVID cases, I think in the entire country at the moment. So there's this real atmosphere in Australia of like the borders are going to be open again. Everyone's going to fly home and see their families at Christmas. Like, Everything's fine, guys. Yeah, we had a shocker in 2020, but everything's fine and there will be no lasting ramifications of what has happened. And I think it turns out it comes down to you, Justin (laughs) Hamilton, the only man who is brave enough
1: (laughs) to fucking tell the truth. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things where I felt like the people who listen to this show are individually – interesting and smart and i've had so many nice messages
0: incredibly attractive they're
1: super hot super handsome men super gorgeous women they're all fantastic and they but they sent so many nice messages and this is in the past as well and it feels like you're doing them uh, a disservice if you're not being honest about things and i wanted to kind of share those thoughts because even if it just helps someone articulate where they're at a little bit better or it just gives them someone that they can kind of, oh, yeah, I relate to aspects of that. And while we were doing it, I felt quite manic. Uh, I was telling you, actually, I wasn't going to say this on the podcast, but you you might find this hard to believe, but the day of that podcast, I'd seen my therapist for the first time in over a year and she got me to uh, fill out this form about hypomania and uh i had to answer these questions and we got to a point and she says okay now if it's at 16 or above that means you probably got some hypermania and i said what was my score and she said 27.
0: (laughs) you should play the podcast next time you go into therapy (laughs) book a session for an hour and a half and just go i just want you to listen to this
1: (laughs) and then give me some answers at the end of it (laughs) You
0: know, here's what I'm going to say about the impact that you've had on society this week. I have an anecdote. Okay. I've been saving this anecdote for when we were recording on the podcast because it happened today that I was in at the ABC and I was speaking to somebody at the ABC who freelances at the ABC, but also does some work for one of the big commercial networks. And at one of the big commercial (laughs) networks, I am reliably informed there are several people who are only now referring to Pete Evans as not Manu. (laughs) I heard that from a very reliable source today. (laughs) They've decided (laughs) that it's the perfect when they because they have to talk about him because he's in the news all the fucking time. (laughs) But now, like, not in the news yet, but at least in a newsroom, there are people referring to Pete Evans as not Manu. And I think that not Manu could possibly be, that could be your Bart Simpson's I didn't do it moment.
1: <laughs> well, look, if that's, if that's my biggest achievement of the year, uh, you know what? Maybe I won't do the rest of the gigs this week. <laughs> well, you I'll know what it is. Off.
0: I just more think you're going to be in one of those books of wisdom. You know that they like you know, have uh, a quote from Aristotle, and they have a quote yeah. from Stephen Fry, and they have just you, not Manu, Justin <laughs> Hamilton. It's on the front front page before the other quotes, as like everybody's agreed, it's the <laughs> best quote of all time. It's seven letters, and yep. it changed the way a generation thought
1: because lots of creative people listen to this podcast. If anyone wants to make up some, you know, Not Manu, Barack Obama, Hope posters or anything like that, I will gladly (laughs) help distribute them.
0: You know what? I think we should try to get Not Manu. I mean, Not Manu is something that you came up with many years ago. So Not Manu has been in the zeitgeist for a while, just bubbling away Not Manu. But (laughs) I feel like Not Manu is having... A moment. Yeah. A mumu Like, so, manu No, No, Yeah, boy. I, had,
1: I had one of them once. It was quite painful.
0: So, I think not manu. Like, I yeah. know this is a little John Oliver when he tried to, you know, get everyone to call Donald Trump Donald Trump. Yeah. And it didn't really stop him from winning the election. But I think that if we could get, Like, I want to see a newsreader on TV or on the radio, like maybe on a commercial channel, one of those channels where they can literally get away with a bit more fun in the news. Can the challenge go out that we can get Not Manu? Just if you are a person who has any cause to talk about that fella and there are plenty of people out there who you're going to have to talk about that fella, just start calling him Not Manu and see if we can get Not Manu into popular culture.
1: It'd be so good, especially with a nice, handsome photo of him and just having in big, bold Helvetica font, Not Manu not right Manu. underneath. <laughs> we never refer to whatever his name was. I can't even remember. That I've already moved on. He will yeah. always be Not Manu.
0: Not, he'll always be Not Manu to me. Yeah. And that's what you've got to say to him. You're going, you are Not Manu until the time that you redeem yourself in the eyes of society and you can reclaim your original name, Not Manu.
1: Yeah, you have to earn your name back. He sounds like, uh, his name sounds like the uh, aliens from, I think it was the Muppets. Not Manu. Not Manu. Not Manu. Manu. (laughs) So we've got a theme song. We've got
0: a theme song. This thing's all coming together. I mean, it would be amazing. And again, like, I'm not one to silence free speech. I think there is a great value of free speech in our society. And I'm also not one to suggest that people go to somebody's gig and fuck it up. However, in this (laughs) case, I am willing to make an exception because I believe that the propaganda that is being spread by this person is quite dangerous for society in general. So maybe you have a responsibility to de-platform dangerous ideas. So I recommend the best way to do that is if you're ever caught in an argument with that man or any of his disciples who are spouting his nonsense, just start going, not manu do do, do 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 not manu do do do, do, do 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 that's cuz you can't argue with them cuz if you bring science to the table they'll just refute it anyway the only yeah. way you can argue with an idiot is in an idiotic way so next time right. you're in a and non conversation a wellness conversation full of bullshit just start going not manu do do, do 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 not manu i guarantee <laughs> This is my best work since you've got a nice kitchen. This is <laughs> the ultimate way to stop those conversations happening.
1: Oh, I, I weirdly think about you panicking in that kitchen once a week. Ever since you've told me that story, that is panic in the kitchen, which
0: is my panic in the disco cover band.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's a very uh, small stage, but I, I do, I do agree that it is. Uh, You know, there is a responsibility to refute this kind of stuff. I I do worry about people mistaking, like, mistaking that you should give everyone a fair go and let everyone have a platform is then taken advantage of when you're spreading stuff that is just not true. So, well, I think there's
0: some sort of responsibility that goes with broadcasting. And, yeah. Look, I know that sometimes people could argue by their standards that some of the stuff I do on these podcasts probably pushes the boundaries of what they consider appropriate broadcasting. But I do feel a responsibility. I don't like to share ideas that are dangerous or that I know to be untrue. And certainly on a lot of episodes, you know, particularly philosophy, if like we talk in depth about suicide or things like that, I tend to put a you know, warning on the start of them To make sure that people know that's coming up Like, I do feel like I don't know, Like, I feel like I'm the person Who came up with this quote But with great power Comes great responsibility
1: no, That was you That was, that was me,
0: right? You. I said that yeah. I'm the yeah. only guy who said that
1: Yeah, when you were hanging out with Flash Thompson and Mary Jane
0: <laughs> Mary Jane was there, definitely
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> But it's but there's but there's a massive difference also with what you're saying which is your podcast is a destination. It is not something that is accessible in ways where you might come across it by accident. Like you have to come here and you also have to make a choice to listen to it or not. And you can listen to a few episodes and then decide, "Ah, this is not for you," and then move on, but it's not it's not free to air it's not just out there where it can proliferate without you having any real control over it so you know there's what? a big difference there
0: it, it, it is a difference actually you're right absolutely yeah. and then you t- and then you're responsible on top of it well it, i i hadn't really occurred to me until now but absolutely
1: no, i bet you'll be claiming this one too i until i said
0: that right now it hadn't occurred yeah. to me until i and only i said that right now <laughs> not minute <laughs> i'm just using it for everything yeah <laughs> <laughs> um here's what i was gonna say is i refuse to speak as an expert so i am offered opportunities all the time to go on things where they're gonna ask for your you know like and A, a Q&A or uh some sort of panel or some sort of thing where they're like hey, we'd like your – yeah, sort of, you know, like as a public commentator, we'd like your opinion on this topic. And I say no to every single one of those things that I get offered all the time because I am not an expert and I am not going to lie to people by going on TV and pretending to be an expert in any way about anything. Like even on Gruen, I'm not the expert about advertising. I never pretend that I know things about advertising – like I am the person asking the questions and I'm surrounded by experts. But so I guess, yes, absolutely. You could just not, you could just say no when they ask your opinion. You could just say, hey, I'm not an expert. Like I'm a TV chef. I used to own a nightclub and I'm a TV chef. So yeah, take what I'm saying with a grain of cocaine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this, this might not be 100% accurate what I'm saying. Yeah, I am not Manu. Da, 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 Even he's into it. <laughs> I
1: wish I wish someone could cut every entrance into My Kitchen Rules. You know, like when Fonzie would enter a room and you'd, you'd get the audience cheering, we could edit in the Not Manu theme song. I mean, is anyone
0: watching old episodes of My Kitchen Rules? Is that like a thing they, that, I mean, maybe in the pandemic.
1: Maybe fans of Manu. Maybe Mm. Manu. Do you think
0: that one day, is there a chance that Not Manu would become so offensive that they cannot show old episodes of My Kitchen Rules in the same way as they had to pull episodes of Fawlty Towers or those sort of shows? Will they just be like, we can't actually have old episodes of My Kitchen Rules up? Or they have to digitally edit Not Manu, so it's just Manu which is even better show. They digitally oh, yeah. edited out Not Manu, and it's just Manu having a Manu's one-sided conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's fine. Everyone's wrapped. Everyone was always excited when they saw Manu, and they were fine with
0: Not. Yeah, Manu. I think people would be fine with that. In fact, I think that <laughs> yeah. would make it more watchable.
1: Yeah, maybe it would make a comeback. Maybe people would want to go and get the box set, if that's such a thing.
0: I mean, I hope there's never a scandal around Manu. That does... Oh.
1: Ruin things. Manu needs to keep his shit together. Manu, you Do you, if do you know listening... much about
0: Manu? Where did Manu come from? Like, do you know anything about, like, what Manu's background? Because I've never really watched much that Manu is in. So what's what's Manu's go? Uh,
1: he's French. That's all I've is got. Is that it? <laughs> Sorry. No, I, that, that's all I really know. Back in the days when I used to work with Bodica's Bunch on Perth Radio, and I used to do TV reviews for them, and then... Uh, that that's kind of where all of that started the Manu and not Manu because I would now and again have to review my kitchen rules and that's where I sort of first had my uh, taste of both of them and he seems to be the one that is of a certain age group and demographic he is he's a stud like he is he's a pinup.
0: all right I'm on uh, Manu's Wikipedia page what does that have to say and I'm gonna ask you a bunch of Manu trivia and see how well you know Manu.
1: Oh goodness. Okay.
0: My new game show Do You Know Manu?
1: <laughs> ba 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 ba. ba. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is Manu's last name? Any idea?
1: Oh, is a has it got an F in it? Is it Manu for Fervidel? Something like that?
0: You know what? I'm going to give you a point for that. It's F-E-I-L-D-E-E-L. So I don't know how you pronounce that. But uh, is Manu older than me or younger than me?
1: He's, oh, good question. Because he's kind of the kind of, you know what he is? I have an idea of who I am emotionally inside. And then I look at some people and I think, wow, that, that guy looks like a real man. And then it freaks me out that I'm older than them. You know that kind of feeling and so i wonder if manu is deceptively i reckon he's i reckon he's a little bit older he is
0: two months younger than i am he was born on the 26th of march 1974 so we're pretty similar ages manu and i he but he
1: looks like a real man don't you think
0: I mean, you didn't need to bring it up so close to me saying that he and I were the similar age. It felt like it was more like a older. personal criticism like, I'm, of me.
1: I'm saying he looks older than both. Like, he looks like more of a man than both of us. No, I
0: agree. So, here we go. Um, <laughs> so, uh, why did he want to be a chef? This would be a pretty uh, common reason to be a, like to, be, to pursue a passion.
1: What? He just loved making food.
0: Is that... R- where did his love of making food come from though?
1: Oh, from his from his from his nana did he come uh,
0: from- not bad he, from from his father and his grandfather who are both both also chefs right. However, what career path did Manu this is great. This is worth the whole thing. Right. at age thirteen, young Manu coming from generations of chefs decides to pursue a career that is not being a chef? What is the career that Manu at age 13 pursues? What did Manu pursue?
1: Did, was he, so he's in France, isn't he, right? Is he in France or is he here? This is the sort of thing that you can, it doesn't
0: say. However, it does feel like this is definitely the sort of thing you get up to in France.
1: Right. Well, baguettes are still food. Was he... It's non-food related. Well, yes. So did he set out to be a painter? Like even
0: more... If you told your parents you're going to be a painter, that's a pretty out there choice to make, right? Right. Right. Even more out there than that.
1: Oh, more more out there than that. Uh, He was going to go and learn uh, mime. Oh, you you're
0: really fucking close.
1: Is it clowning? He joined
0: at age thirteen a circus school and learnt juggling, unicycling, clowning, and some acrobatics.
1: Wow. Of course. Of course Manu can do all of that. What can't Manu do? Well that is actually the better question. Um what year
0: did Manu come to Australia?
1: Uh so his accent's still pretty strong, but I reckon he came here. Uh, so I think he came here. I reckon he probably came here in his early to mid 20s.
0: So what year do you think that is?
1: Oh, uh, so yeah, uh, so 90, 97, 98?
0: Yeah, good, good guess. 1999. Right because um, it feels
1: like the accent is formed and it is a, a solid part of who he is and then but he's been here enough time to let some of the the, the Frenchness go
0: yeah and he's been on TV for ages so like, like it had yeah. to be a fair while back what was the first? TV cooking show that Manu appeared on. It was 2006, so he's been in the country for seven years and he's got himself on a TV cooking show. What is the name of that TV cooking show? It has three words.
1: Three. Uh, ready, Steady, Cook? Ready,
0: Steady, Cook. Amazing. Uh, then on MasterChef, then on My Kitchen Rules. Yeah. Um, okay. In 2010, Manu was the celebrity contestant in the first episode of the short lived Australian version of there is Celebr- no way in a million years you will guess this answer.
1: Is is it something to do with Sophia Copler?
0: <laughs> Called Beat the Star. I don't even know what Beat the Star was. I cannot remember that T V show. Do you remember Beat the Star? Sounds sexy. Um oh Manu found success on another reality show other than cooking reality shows. What was that show?
1: Uh, celebrity Dog School. Nope. Was it? But you well, know what his dog is? A Manoodle. He's a got Manoodle. A little manoodle. <laughs> what kind of dog is that? The it's one uh, with the pastries? That's a Manoodle. <laughs> yeah, it's a Manoodle. Eating strudel. It's my Manoodle. Um. What was uh what was that one where you had to make shapes? No, think
0: about this is a big show. What right. sort of show if you're the producers of another show and you've got this like like you said, this manly, sexy yeah. French chef. What do what do people at home who already love Manu want to see if what Manu can do? What do they want to see?
1: So maybe is it was there a was there a building? Is it a building show? Like, is he because no. it looks like he could build stuff, or is he? Being, no, no, no. Think more of him in a tux,
0: looking dapper, right? Um, being paraded in a fashion. I'll give you another clue. Um, one of our friends has won this competition.
1: Uh, dancing with the stars,
0: dancing with the stars. Yes. Uh, he, he won the 2011 series of Dancing with the Stars. Oh,
1: he's light on his feet as well. I did wonder if he played football at one point. I bet he brought some nice footwork from his youth into the dancing school. So
0: he made a two-part travel cooking documentary that followed him through Western France, highlighting the local food and scenery. What was the four-word title... <laughs> of the documentary series that Manu made about France. Now, what I need you to know is don't overthink this in any way. If you wanted to advertise to people watching Channel 7 that Manu was doing a show about France, what would you call that show? (laughs) Manu's
1: travels through Paris? (laughs) My France with Manu. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't say come up with it like Fred Flintstone came up with it. <laughs> My France with Manu. <laughs>
0: Amazing. Um, in, uh, da, 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 okay. Um, all right. We're nearly done with Manu uh, facts, but let's see if we can find something else okay here we go in march 2013 manu did something manu's not just like this is giving me a lot of confidence in manu by the way yes like you that know he's we,
1: not going to let us down
0: there's no dirt on manu's page and manu seems like the sort of guy he can dance he can yep. cook you know he's like he's also raising money for canteen right uh, for young people living with cancer and he is an ambassador for camp quality. So um, like he's a, he's a good guy, Manu, it seems. So yep. what did Manu do in 2013 to raise money for canteen? It is a thing. It is a feat of endurance that people do for these sort of things. You know, it is the sort of thing if, if one of your friends was like, I'm going to do this, you know, for charity it's one of those sort of did events. he did he
1: climb Everest
0: it's in that zone but it's not climbing Everest
1: okay did he I uh, see I'm disappointed because I was going to say he put out a calendar of him looking really buff and he was gonna be in the menude but I'll squeeze that joke in there and then make a proper guess <laughs> uh, was it did he run the Boston
0: Marathon good guess. Your guesses are in the right zone, a bit closer to home.
1: Oh, okay. He competed for the kool and gold. Okay.
0: Somewhere in between your last two answers, you'll find the correct answer.
1: Right. Uh, I, I honestly... The, is it the burm bronze? Um, oh, I can't think. Did he ride a pushbike around Australia?
0: He trekked the Kokoda track.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, Manu and Kakoda, of course. They're two words that had always intended to go together in some way.
0: Uh, well, there you go. That was our new segment, Get to Know Manu. Well, that's good. That's good. Manu- that feels like it balances out last week as well, you know, in that it was yes. all about not Manu last week. Yeah. And then this week, Manu, there's some balance returned to the
1: force. Yeah, absolutely. He. Uh, it's funny, isn't it, The uh, like he does just look like a guy that can do shit. You know, like some like if there was a storm and the veranda was ripped off, he'd be annoyed and the next day the veranda would be fixed and it would be better than it was the day before. It'd be and made he'd be made making against. breakfast. He'd yeah. be making
0: your breakfast and you'd realise the veranda would be fixed.
1: On the new veranda.
0: Yeah. But the whole time muttering to himself like, oh, blue.
1: <laughs> he looks like he can do that. I've, I've always been disappointed that I never developed into that kind of guy. Did you, When you were young, did you ever look at, was there an actor or was there a person in your life that you looked at and went, oh, one day I'm going to be a man like that. And then you look at yourself now and go, no, nope, totally missed it. I
0: am super aware of the fact that I am a man. Like Like, I'm... 46 years old, nearly 47 years old. I'm only two months older than Manu. Right. But as you pointed out before, there is a massive difference between Manu and I. And I always, I never saw myself as a man. I never like had this idea in my head that, you know, of just picturing myself being a man. It always kind of terrified me. I think yeah. part of the reason that I was like, I've got to fucking find a good way to con people out of lots of money so that I can pay people to do things for me because I am going to be hopeless in this world. Like, I realised that, you know, come you know, the post-apocalypse, I am first against the wall. Like, oh, I am hey. fucking useless in that situation. And so... I think that my artistic endeavour and drive has been mostly predicated on the realisation that I have nothing to fall back on. I have no other discernible skills. And if this year has taught me nothing other than that, it is the stark reality of when comedy went away, I had no purpose or meaning in the fucking world. And no way to earn a living, no way to pay my bills, no way to you know, be useful to fucking society. Like, I think I knew from a very early age, even if I didn't know I was going to be a comedian, that I was going to have to find some con. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, that I was going to have to find some way to fucking game the system so that I could survive.
1: It is one of those things where if it turns into the Fury Road, I'm convinced that I'm one of the blood banks on the front of the car.
0: I mean, at least you've got a use. No one wants, no one will want my blood. Here's what I do wonder is if you would find a way to make yourself useful because if that's what my instinct has been in my life, like I grew up on a farm, very practical skills, you know, I didn't have those practical skills. So I was quite aware as a kid already, I think because I was surrounded by the job that I could have, you know, my brother is on the farm now it's, you know, generations of farmers. I think my dad would have loved if I'd come out like a proper manly kid who could have, you know, worked on the farm with him, he would have been wrapped by that. But I wasn't that. So because you're surrounded by what you're not, like the entire time you're growing up, I think from a very early age, there was a bit of me that was like, shit, (laughs) I'd be absolutely no good at this. I'm going to have to fucking work out some other way to live my life because I would be hopeless at this.
1: Yeah. I I think it was... You know, when I was growing up, because there were not many men uh, around, I was raised, as people might know, by a single mum, and my auntie was around and, you know, my mum's friends. And back in the 70s and early 80s, I just, I have to be honest, I was mildly terrified of men. I reckon up until I was about late teens, you know, like really getting to a point where once you once you started to kind of broaden out and, and, you know, become a little bit taller and the voice dropped a little bit and you kind of found your voice a little bit more and you felt like you could hold your own. Up until that point, I always found them quite terrifying. I hated having male school teachers. Weirdly, when I played basketball, my favourite coach was... A real yeller, like a, like a guy, uh, Shane, he used to really yell at us. But what I liked about Shane was he he stuck to his word. Like when I first joined uh, his team, he sort of said, this year, he's going to be sitting on the bench. He's going to be learning. I'm going to teach him all these skills. Next year, he'll be my starting point guard in division one. And that year I sat and I learned and he he just gave me crumbs here and there and he'd yell at me and he'd push me and then the next year I was the starting point guard on his division 1 team and it was like well he stuck by his word and he was he was kind of cool in that regard so that was that was weirdly fine but then in the real world at schools and that I'd be around men just going oh these are awful they they just give off this weird energy this kind of violence energy and it's funny the first guy that I really liked of mum's friends was a guy who I didn't know at the time but was gay and I didn't know he was gay like he was really handsome and really funny and really well read and he was a hairdresser and he wore leather pants and so there was had no boyfriend sides. but there were no sides whatsoever <laughs> But he was just—he was just a cool guy, and you know, that was the first man as a as a young fella that I was hanging out with that I thought, oh, I like him. But the rest of them, I just found a little bit scary.
0: Oh, I remember because the town I grew up in, my dad's been there all his life, and my dad's a respected guy. He's a pretty stand-up guy, my old man, and like, doesn't swear, doesn't drink but he's not like a, you know, sports board or anything like that. Like he, you know, big active member of the community played pretty high level football and cricket and played cricket for a long time. And, you know, contributes to those clubs still. And that's part of his social life and world. And in a general sense, that means that most people have a good deal of respect for him. You know, when I speak to people about my father, but in any small town, that's not going to be a way that everybody loves. Right. And. What I've realized in adulthood that I didn't understand when I was a kid was occasionally, particularly at junior sport, because, oh, well, junior to senior sport. So often I'd play like junior cricket and then dad would be playing like B grade cricket. So they'd pick me in B grade, like, you know, so that dad didn't have to go to two grounds sort of thing. But really I was the, the worst player on the team. Probably fine enough to not let down the team too much in country cricket, but but not like there to really contribute much other than my dad was already there. And... I remember a few times being yelled at by cricketers for making mistakes on the field and stuff when I was, like, 15 or whatever by fully grown men just fucking abusing me and yelling shit at me and not really understanding at the time why these men hated me. And I think in retrospect there was a few that thought this was a good opportunity to finally – they could never yell at my dad, so they decided because I was Uh, hopeless they were going to yell at me. and. It took me only a few years ago to kind of cl- that to click in my head. Like something happened, and I was just like, oh, I reckon that actually explains, maybe not all of it, but I think there was, because there was a couple of culprits, like there were a couple of main people. This is not, this is a different story, but one of my, the last time I ever played a game of Aussie Rules football uh, was um, I was filling in. I went down with my brother. We were both living together in Melbourne, and my brother was still playing in the country, and I went down just to watch him. And the seconds needed an extra player and I was still registered down there. So I thought, you know what, I'll have a kick for you. That's fine. And anyway, guy fell on my leg, broke my leg. But at the time, I didn't know I had a broken leg. And as I hobbled off the ground that day, the coaches abused to me for being weak for being piss weak, for not being able to fucking shake it off, that I was just fucking hopeless and what had happened to me and that I used to give a shit and now I don't give a shit anymore and all this sort of stuff. And then the next day when I found out I had a broken leg, I was like, I reckon he was being a bit harsh.
1: Yeah, just a little bit, right? Man, we used to – you used to have – like I'm so glad that I played sport. It taught me so many lessons. It, 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 it kind of gave me – a way to find an inner strength in that helped me in very different aspects of life. Taught me how to win with grace, taught me how to lose with character, all of that kind of stuff. But you think about some of the shit that would be said to you and it's and it was so aggressive and it was so violent. I remember a, a coach for my Woodville District basketball team one year, you know, we were under 16 boys. Guess what? We were probably being a little bit shit house because, you know, that's what we are. And our coach brought us in, and he screamed at us. Like, he just screamed at us so violently and so aggressively. And we were all in a circle, and it was really tense. And at the end of it, he said, does anyone have anything to say? And my mate, Huey Roberts, farted so loudly. And it was so amazing. And I think about that once a year. And it it was such a funny moment, because... This guy was so angry now, but he was already too angry for the way he'd been out carrying on.
0: How ridiculous that situation is. It's a bunch exactly. of kids playing a game of basketball. <laughs> yes. There are absolutely no stakes. If you step back for just one moment and evaluate why that exists, there's nothing yeah. on the line for the sake of the world out of what's happening. The yeah. only reason for that game to exist is for those boys to get together and have a social thing and do some exercise and play a game and then the idea is you as an adult being so angry about this meaningless thing that you're yelling at children is just the only response can be a fart the fart is the only thing that pulls you back into the stench of reality (laughs) that is you are a grown fucking adult yelling at not only your own kids which I can understand maybe there's circumstances where there's, you know, maybe justification to yell at your own kids, but strangers' kids.
1: Yes, (laughs) and everyone's fine with it. Huey Roberts, and it was loud, and it echoed around the court, and it was... Fantastic. Well, that's your perfect
0: but, acoustics too for a fart. yeah right. basketball court, like, like <laughs> yeah. it, everything echoes around there. It's not like it would have been full of spectators because it was a meaningless fucking was, game that you shouldn't be was, yelling about,
1: mate. It was fucking training, you know. It was training, and, and and you know what the best best time to laugh is when you're not allowed to laugh. That is the best time, and it was great. But you, and so I think back on that coach, and I think you know what a knob, but. the the year before, I'd had this guy called John Burns and a great, great young fella. Like, back when I think about it, he must have only been like 22, 23 when he was coaching us. But my under-16s team had never made, in Division One had never made the finals before. And we were playing a game where we had to win to get into the finals for the first time. And it was really tense. And we were up by heaps. And then we got tight getting towards the end. And... He literally called a timeout, <laughs> brought us all in. And while we're all kind of on edge, he said, um, hey, did anyone see Neighbours tonight? And we were like, what? He said, did anyone see Neighbours? Because this is back in the days of Jason and Charlene and all of that kind of stuff, uh, Scott and Charlene. And it was, "Ah, oh, yeah, no, I think, uh, I think uh, Annie Jones' character took her glasses off and she was quite pretty. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, you know what? I thought she was kind of pretty. And he just talked about that. And then he said, "Ah." Oh, let's just go to a zone for defence for a, a few plays and then we'll go back to man-to-man. And we just relaxed and we were laughing so hard that we went out and we won the game. And I'll always have affection for that guy. That was a smart move. Do you
0: know what I mean? You mean that worked more effectively than yelling at a bunch of teenagers? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah exactly. You know, and... Uh, the, the, what, what a great moment. Everyone's tense. I'll take their minds off it in a way that they won't quite understand at, the, at that point. But then after the game, like, we got it. it and I? oh, yeah, we see what you did there.
0: It's interesting, those who are drawn to junior coaching. Like, yeah. I think sometimes it's a necessity, right? Like your kid wants to play and somebody has the coach, so you become the coach or whatever. But then there are those who are living out their fantasy of being like a big-time coach of things.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, you know, it's a, uh, it, it's funny, I did a bit of coaching when I was a kid and, you know, it, it's hard because it, it's it's a little bit like starting stand-up comedy. You're trying to find your voice. You're trying to find your way into it and, you know, you make some mistakes and you you do some good things. But uh, I I managed to take, uh, I was, you know, because you start off and you get given the lowest division team that you can possibly be given. And I was given uh, under, I think it was under 14 division five. And uh, we hadn't won a game uh, and uh, the previous season. And I, I managed to get them to the finals. And I remember we were playing, it was one versus four, two versus three, and we were the four. And we came up with a really good game plan for this team. And we felt really confident and moved, had moved the players around throughout the season. And they just, they were just great kids. And we went out there and we got thrashed, but like, by so many points, the other team well, was, he's was better gonna than be us. this was going to be like
0: a Mighty Ducks situation. <laughs> nah, You'd catfish me into a Mighty Ducks. You'd duck fish me thinking, hang on, how do I know, not know this story about Justin's <laughs> incredible junior coaching career?
1: I double-ducked you, And it was – but it was great. Do you know what I mean? It was like at the end of the game, we all just looked at each other and, and you knew, like, it wasn't even close. It was like four minutes into the game, I'm just sitting there going, oh, we are fucked. Those kids are heaps better than us. <laughs> but, you know, you gotta you got to stay positive and you keep coming up with ideas and you keep extolling the virtues of everything you've done. But we went, we went from winless the previous season to fourth, and that's still – as an experience, something good, right?
0: I remember junior football. So one of the rules in our junior football league, it would have been like under 13s or under 15s, something like that was, that if the other team didn't have enough to field like a team or right. if they're a couple of players short, then players from our team could volunteer to play for the opposition for the day. And one day, I think... If I'm remembering this correctly, it was a long time ago and I don't have a great memory for these things, but if I'm remembering it correctly, we were playing against another team and they were only like two short or whatever. So you could play with two short, I think. And so we played the first half against them and we were like dominating, like just ridiculously, you know, dominating them. And so then in the second half, we just were like, let's give us the win, but just for the rest of the game. Like, you know, so I went and played for them and so did... One of our other really good like players went and played for them, and I remember some parents being really angry about it afterwards because we didn't like get the percentage or we didn't like you know whatever that it right. wasn't. And I was like, I just wanted to play. I thought it would be fun to go and play for the other team for half a game. But some parents were really yeah. mad about it.
1: Oh man, it's so funny. The it's the the weird lessons that you learn. Everyone thinks it's about winning or losing, but the. The the weird lessons you learn that stick with you forever. When when I was playing club basketball, there was a a team... When I played for this certain club, it was all different kind of ages. And there was this certain team that was much better than my team. They were older, they were stronger. And they used to thrash us all the time. And we were getting better and we were getting older and we were getting bigger, etc. And then one day we played them in a final. And it's funny... I stole the ball from one of their players, and I was pretty quick back in the day. I am I was about 17 at this point. And I took off down the other end of the court, and three of their players converged on me, and much bigger. And so I got around one, I got around the other, and as I went up and the two were behind me, one of their other guys came from out of nowhere, and that kid spiked the ball as I put it up for a shot, and it flew... Way down the other end of the court. And so I've just been rejected, right? And then I've landed. But all three of them yelled at me and banged their chests, and their parents all were cheering. And I got all this amazing confidence from it because they never gave a fuck. And so then you're thinking, hang on a sec, this game's really close. I, I reckon they're starting to shit themselves. And that actually gave us the confidence, you know, and we won that game. But that was such a funny moment, the moment where if they, if they just rejected me, I probably would have gone, oh, I can't beat these guys. But because they carried on so much and were so in my face, I had a little out-of-body experience. There I am, you know, five foot six or whatever and skinny, looking at them going, why are they carrying on? Like, why are they getting so excited about that? Okay. And that's so what I, I, went, I was oh, wrong. Hello. It wasn't
0: a Mighty Ducks. This is a karate kid situation. Yeah. You had an elderly Japanese man teaching you yeah. basketball skills. Yeah,
1: you're the best around. <laughs> Nothing's ever gonna keep you down. <laughs> but the, you know, the, what, what a, that moment kind of really sticks with me because it's such a funny lesson in the middle of all this adrenaline flowing and that. Anyway, I'm really glad that I played sport. Do you think you you know you love sport as well? Do you think you could have or would have liked to have been a coach or are you happy to keep sport at a at a distance? I
0: would love a year like in fantasy world. So I have no interest in coaching like a local team or anything like that. No. But if we're just talking like if we get to the stage in the next 10 or 20 years, which I'm going to speculate we will where instead of a virtual reality simulation, you can go in and have some sort of life experience. So you can play a game, you know, like a virtual reality game where for a year you get to be the coach of an NBA franchise or you get to be the coach of an AFL football team. And it sort of simulates like a you know, uh, one of those sort of games would play, but at that next evolution, the idea that there's a bunch of decisions you have to make and, and, you know, scenarios that you have to sort of compete in. I would love that. I would go and hook myself into whatever fucking future machine that is to go and just be like, you can be David Bowie. Like, you can live your life as David Bowie. Like, sign me fucking up.
1: Right. That'd be pretty cool. So, what are your three things? What are the three things that you would sign up for?
0: Ah, oh, okay. That, yeah, good question. All right, three fantasy things. If I could sign up for uh, playing so I'll, anyone, I'll you,
1: give you. So, I'll start. I'll start okay. off with one. You start. Give you a bit of thinking time. So, I would definitely be an NBA. I think I. Ah, uh, hang on. I can be anything, can't I? Anything. I want to be an NBA basketballer. On a championship team, I don't want to be the best player. I don't want to be the second best player. I want to be the guy that your fans know. They know you. They love you. People who don't know your team probably think, how's that guy getting a run? Like he doesn't even do anything, but you kind of do all the things that don't come up in statistics. And I want to be in a situation where the best player, things are really tight and the best players looking around and we look at each other and we nod and we know that we're about to go to war to win the game. That's number one. I would like
0: to be, I'm going to go with an unconventional one first. Cause okay. most of the ones that immediately came to mind were things where I think they're kind of predictable. I think cricket, I'd quite like to be a really good, you know, batsman in cricket. Like, yeah, yeah. I'd like to play football, these sort of things, but I'm going to go with my first one. I'd love to be like a, like a a pop star, rock star, but he's really like the sort of world that I think would be enjoyable to be in. Like be like Bruno Mars. So not necessarily like in Radiohead or whatever, that feels like that would be quite hard work, you know. You're making the best music in the world, but there's a lot of other baggage that comes with it. Like Bruno Mars, you get to sing, you get to dance really well, you play a whole bunch of big shows, you hang out with your mates all the time, you got this like crew that you just like chill with. Like I just feel like as an all-round experience, like being a Bruno Mars style entertainer would be like a really good way to, like I, I definitely would be up for that.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, I think I would like to be, you know, I I don't think I want to, I don't think I want to be David Bowie, but I want to be his guitarist for a number of years who gets a few moments of, you know, here's your moment in the spotlight to play that uh, specific riff that people know. And then you get to stand back and he's, he's the star so he's got all the hard work. What's good too ways. because
0: I think that we can sell different entry levels for our program. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you right? can say, look, Bowie, that'll fucking cost you if you want to be David Bowie. Oh, but be so expensive. what we can offer uh, you is David Bowie's guitarist.
1: Yeah, Mick Ronson. You can be Mick Ronson in Ziggy Stardust and uh, <laughs> for half the price. It's like, yeah, that's great. And then I get to hang out as well. <laughs>
0: And Mick Ronson spending all his money on being David Bowie. He's always wanted to be.
1: He saw him from up close. He thought it looked real fun. <laughs> I'll give it a crack. What's um, what's your next thing? All
0: right. Um, what would I like to be? I think I probably, in a very theoretical sense, would like to be because I I never want to run for politics. I've done too much bad shit. Like I couldn't do it anyway. And I, again, I don't think I'm an expert, but in a simulation game where you get to be like, I I think being like a a prime minister or a president or something like that and having to work out how to run a country and how you would shape a country by what you think is important and deal with the everyday issues would be very fascinating.
1: That would be fun as well. Especially if you knew there was a counter on the simulation and you know how you would play it seriously for a lot of it and then oh I've only got half an hour ago. That's when you get to make some crazy ass decisions and just throw everything against the wall and see what happens. Yeah well
0: it's like people in those simulation games where you build a village or you build a whatever and then after a while people get bored and just like send in a thunderstorm. Let's see what happens when there's an earthquake. (laughs) Like yes, there would definitely be that
1: I um I would like to be a an actor that is so brilliant that he not only can perform a shakespearean play but i also understand it <laughs> i would be so into that because i read shakespeare it's hard work i, I don't quite have the concentration just somebody who
0: like super understood it you mean like or yeah
1: and and is and, and understands it so well can perform it beautifully to such an extent that people who coming across Shakespeare for the first time, uh, understanding it as well and enjoying the language. That's that's how good I am at performing it.
0: Okay, that's pretty good. Um, all right. What else? What's a good one to... I mean, living the life of Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be fun, but I actually think all the working out and the stuff like that, I just get bored with that. Like yeah. even if I've got the Rock's body, it feels like an inconvenient body. Like I actually, there'd be a bunch of downsides to that that just aren't for me. Um, my instincts were to go to comedy. I do like quite like the idea of experiencing what comedy is like for someone else. You know, like the idea of going, how did it feel to them? How did it work for them? Like, you
1: know. Have you ever stood on when we're performing or whoever you're performing with? Have you ever stood right behind the curtain where the audience can't see and then you can feel... The audience's reaction to the comedian on the other side of the curtain, and i have uh, done that a lot.
0: I've—I've I've done that a lot when you're on stage. <laughs> like yeah, it is, right. it's a fun yeah. feeling to yeah feel it in the way that they're feeling it on stage, yeah. and you can actually very much get into the rhythm of it. Speaking of which, um, how, are we done? Oh no, hang on. You've got one left. Have I got one left? No. Or I did think it you do yours? You wanted to be a comedian. Yeah, comedian. I, I don't know which right. comedian. Like, I don't know which would be the most fun sort of interesting comedian to be. George Carlin, probably. Or Billy Connolly. George. No, it'd be yeah. amazing to be Billy Connolly. to Just to have yeah. the mind of Billy Connolly, probably. But I was going to ask you, you've been doing some shows. I saw you did some shows with Tom Gleeson. What,
1: yeah. what were they like? So, my first flights since March were So, I had to fly to Canberra. Mm-hmm. And... It's weird, isn't it? Like, it's just a bit of a weird experience. First of all, flying to Canberra, there's not that many people on the plane. And it's also, (laughs) how long are you in the air? Like 40 minutes or whatever. So it was kind of a nice way to kind of get back into the swing of things. Uh, Canberra Theatre was so wonderful the way they set things up. Everyone is very covid safe they make sure that everyone's set out in a way in the theater that is comfortable and uh, conducive to the situations that we're in and it's funny because you know how we've been talking about like what do you talk about and some comedians are just doing what they were doing before covid and that doesn't work personally for me so it it was funny it's these these big theatre shows where I'm doing support and you, you, you're you starting with material that you've never said before because <laughs> that's where you're at. And so it was quite exhilarating in that regard. And then also, uh, so not only was it fun to perform and not only was it fun to, oh, it's always fun to hang out with Gleason. you know what it's like to hang out with Tom. But, um, you know, we got the news about Dave Jory on saturday as well so uh, yeah for people who didn't know dave jory was a friend of ours a comedian who uh he you know died recently after battling pancreatic cancer and dave and i'd been friends in our early 20s when we worked at the hotel adelaide and we used to work as waiters for shows like dirty dicks and elvis to the max (laughs) and uh rodney rude you know uh he, he was a he was a great guy and we knew that he hadn't been well for a while and then you hear that news and i hadn't seen dave in a while and but you you still feel the loss and so it was in a way in, in a very i don't mean to be selfish but finding out while i was on the road while i was hanging out with gleason was very lucky in in many aspects
0: yeah i felt very sad i mean i Again, also hadn't seen Dave much in the last few years, but we'd exchanged yeah. a, a few messages and stuff while he was sick and, you know, just, but not a lot, but just some. Um, and he wrote, he was a comedian that I gigged with a lot, particularly when I first came to Sydney and he was in Sydney at the same time. So we hung out quite a lot. And I always found him just like an incredibly funny stage performer, but just an incredibly warm and generous dude off the stage you know he was one of those people that you're always happy when he was on the lineup because you knew you'd have someone fun and warm and interesting to talk to at the back of the room and he ended up writing for Glasshouse and you know being involved in my comedy career there would have been jokes that i did on that show that he would have come up with and he was an absolutely brilliant joke writer like he had a way around a one-liner and a unique perspective on things that was you know he could have in another age and without illness intervening, you know, being regarded as one of Australia's, you know, utmost, you know, regarded writers, I think, because yeah. he did have an incredibly deft understanding of language.
1: Well, his dad is uh, Rex Jory, who is uh, a well-respected uh, Adelaide journalist. And I didn't know that. Yeah, so he, you know, it's it's in... It's in the upbringing, isn't it? Mm. And uh, when, when we were young men, he was house-sitting <laughs> Peter Gers' place. Peter Gers, who was a prominent Adelaide uh, personality. And Big journalist. fan
0: of mine, Peter Gers. Massive Peter rap for me. Can't get enough of me coming to the Adelaide Fringe, Peter Gers. That was I mean, his column always... in the paper, like, fucking <laughs> 10 years in a row. Why do we let these arseholes like Will Anderson come across the border and take our sweet South Australian money? I was like, I like it here, mate. I've been coming here for 20 years.
1: Yeah. So, anyway, I went and hung out at Peter Gers' house and – uh Dave and I had a really good time getting quite drunk looking at all of his photos. Always used to make me laugh when he'd get angry about people coming to Adelaide and doing stand-up there because in his house he had a photo of him being held up by the Doug Anthony All-Stars, and I used to think, you hypocrite. <laughs> Always used to make me laugh. He'd have little cracks at me, and I'd think, I know something about you, Gersey. <laughs> <It laughs> I've is been fun. in your house.
0: <laughs> I, it's so funny, Peter Gerrits, because, like, I like couldn't give a shit one way or the other what Peter Gers nah. thinks, you know what I mean? Like and I've also been in a position where like it's good to, like, you know, particularly when you're writing columns regularly or commentating regularly, which is what Peter Gers does. Yeah. It's nice to have some people you hate so that you can fill up some column space every now and again. You're like, oh, Adelaide <laughs> Fringe is on. I can dust off that Will Anderson's The Problem with Australian Comedy fucking article that I write every year. I get that. I'm, I totally, like, I'm at a point in my life where I can absolutely see the humour in that. But it's just funny when it's you that someone you don't, Really care one way or the other about. Like you don't wish them any ill will. They just fucking hate you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really entertaining <laughs> when when you've got a when you've got a lot of passion coming one way and you're standing there going, "Well, well what's what's happening here? What's
0: going on?
1: <laughs> what do well, I? would like, love like the to know what
0: I inciting moment is because there are plenty of people who don't care for what I do and that is absolutely appropriate you know it's not for everyone and it's not meant for everybody but well it means you have a style but most of them just stop like that most of them just go when you just hate something so much that you just can't rid yourself of it, and despite the fact that there's been no traffic back the other way because it wasn't like I ever responded to any of those articles in any fucking way other than laughing harder when you would, like, mention Peter Gers on stage when I was in the audience (laughs) of you Adelaide Fringe (laughs) Shows. That would guarantee you to get three minutes of solid laughter from me. But, like, it's so funny because it's so one-sided as well.
1: Well, you know what this is? You know, Peter Gers writing all of those articles about you is like me getting rejected in that basketball game and everyone overreacting and you're going, oh, I must be doing something right here if you're carrying on like this. Right. And after a while, when I keep coming back,
0: doesn't it diminish your power in the eyes of the public that you can't even stop me from coming over the border to tell some jokes?
1: You know what you need to do? You just need to see him and fart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh it was so, funny yes, yeah thinking shows. of thinking of Dave and you know and thinking yes. of all those times and uh yeah it's um yeah it's it's funny it's, it feels in some ways like you're finding your voice again i don't quite know what's going to happen next year uh but uh you know i feel like the main goal is to survive this year and then uh i will fly home and see mum and try and see my family in, in Adelaide and try and give them some time, you know, because they have been isolated as well for a long time now and, uh, you know, see... I'm not going to do the festivals next year. I don't know if I'll do the festivals again. I feel like I, I, I want to I go in a different direction from here.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I just think it's incredibly... I hope that the festivals go ahead and go ahead well. I mean, obviously, like for those artists who are going to do them, hopefully this is an opportunity for not everybody to be doing the festivals and, you know, artists that normally don't get, you know, as big an audience being exposed to, you know, locals getting a better go in better venues and more prominent time slots and all these sort of things. I think that's great for, you know, comedy and art in general. Yeah. But I also do still worry about the idea of booking five months of shows. Like, like, can I, I just still feel like it's hard to, and that's why I've been really fascinated by Tom's shows. And we talked about it, you know, when he, when he did philosophy a bit, because where my head's at, I still don't know how I'd plug people coming to see me. I'm not sure that I'm there where I could just say, Hey, in March, I'm going to be doing some shows by a ticket. How the fuck do I know what's going to happen in March? I don't know what's going to happen
1: next week. Like, Oh, mate, all you have to do is get a pizza from the wrong place and uh, your whole city could shut down.
0: I mean, what an amazing story. (laughs) Like people internationally probably aren't across this story, but South Australia, who've had an incredible run during the pandemic, uh, had strict border closures and, you know, pretty much zero cases of COVID for most of the time as the rest of the country was coming out of COVID, went into complete and utter lockdown. It was meant to be for a week It ended up only being for a couple of days because one individual had, you know, and I understand if you're in the middle of this, there must be incredible pressure on you for a whole bunch of different reasons. And he had some work reasons and visa reasons. And, you know, like I'm not here to fucking judge people, but the fact that this dude just kind of lied to the authorities and they shut down the entire fucking state and then just had to go oh no it's fine <laughs> no it's
1: fine it's so funny so part part of my stress last week was I've got friends who work in uh, high up places in in Adelaide and so I'd kind of been told hey you might want to make sure that your mum and your auntie are sorted so I was helping to coordinate them to make sure they had stuff in the fridge and got their doctor's appointments done etc and then it went into this uh, really serious lockdown very quickly and then it turned out you know when when he said he had corona what he meant was he had the last case of corona or something <laughs> and and it was so funny because everyone I was talking to in Adelaide I'm not and I'm not saying this is incorrect but they were really angry And I was just a little bit like, and I know I can say this because I'm not there, but from my perspective, it was like, mate, if you told me there was going to be an outbreak or it was just going to be bullshit and annoying, I'll take the bullshit and annoying every time.
0: Absolutely. And look, it's a terrible situation for people when they're caught in the middle of, you know, because there is so much focus on this pandemic, it must be horrible to be in the middle for whatever reason of an outbreak of it like it must I can't even imagine what it must feel like to be in the middle of something like that but probably just don't lie come clean just come clean, <laughs> just come you know. clean.
1: yeah like you know like when I go and get when they're like shutting like down next- the
0: entire state and they're closing the borders you know what mate yeah can you imagine this poor fucker because we've all lied like in our lives and we've all been caught in a lie at some stage in our lives. But can you imagine that what some scenario you've got yourself in and you've lied and then the response is, oh, we have to shut down the entire state. Is there just not a point where you go, hey.
1: I am so sorry. <laughs> this, got big, this got real big on me
0: real quick. What yeah. I want to actually, you know what I said before? Just yeah. before you shut down the entire stay.
1: Yeah. Mate, it's it's so funny. Like just don't lie. It's like when when you get a blood test and your doctor says you've been drinking too much. There's no point in saying, "Nah. You got to it's your doctor." Just say, "Yeah, yeah, I have." You know, you got to uh maybe I haven't been eating as well. Maybe it, whatever it is, you've got to say it. And in that situation, just let it out, mate. It's really important to just let it out.
0: I mean, I just even like thinking about this poor fucker who's rolled out a lie and then like it's just so big so quickly.
1: so quickly. <laughs> and, and I, I think they did the right thing. like with they're not yes. with the information they but, had. Uh, it this was exactly is what I mean the right thing to do.
0: But they went all in. Like it was, no one's allowed to leave the house, not hours yeah. of exercise, fucking nothing, yeah. no takeaway. Yeah. Like there's people down the streets at like fucking liquor stores stockpiling fucking alcohol and toilet paper. At what yeah. point, when you're the poor fucker with your lie who started this entire thing and you see a line of people around three blocks to buy bourbon, do you think, oh, you know what? I probably should call those fuckers back and tell them <laughs> the truth. <laughs>
1: So yeah, so I feel like I've spent oh. a lot of time talking to a lot of my friends back there off the roof, and just sort of saying, that in the long run, it's it's better that you're in a situation where you're angry than you're worried that you can't work out where this. This
0: is from. a great result.
1: This is a great result.
0: Not for the dude.
1: No, but not for, for him at everybody all. else.
0: This is yeah. a great result.
1: Yeah, just think of it as a practice run. You gave it a practice run. If this turns serious, we know what we're doing and we did it really quickly.
0: I mean, that's I can... actually what it is. It was a fire drill. Yeah. You just had a little COVID fire drill.
1: You don't you don't yell at the guy on the day of the fire drill and say, oh, this is bullshit. I was at my desk and now I'm outside. No, you got to practice. you got to know where the fire escape is. You've got to know the area that you have to go to.
0: Uh, Justin Hamilton, we should finish up because... Uh... I just finished taping Gurun and you've been working tonight also. So I do appreciate that you uh, made the time to do this and it was lovely to have you back. And I think that um, if listeners are enjoying this, then they can listen to your podcast, Big Squid. Um, And Big Squid, you just like talk about stuff that you're into. And that you're interested in
1: oh yeah so uh you know it's all sorts of uh things like the latest episode has uh alex J from uh the ladies guide to dude cinema where her and beck Charwood they talk about movies that dudes insist that they watch so i had her on my podcast and she revealed to me the six movies that dudes have told her she had to watch and she watched and she really enjoyed and it's really, really funny. I had no idea what the movies are and the, the two top ones were so entertaining. Uh, so that was great. And it's also got a review of uh, people who are thinking about getting into graphic novels. Uh, I've been trying to think of things that people can read that doesn't have a lot of continuity, it's just one off. So uh, I've been recommending uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly's We Three, and uh, Ben Elwood joined in with that. But we've had, um, we, Ben and I have also been doing a Christopher Nolan rewatch, and our Interstellar podcast is up. And I think that's probably one of the best that we've done done a really big deep dive on that so uh, if people are into that kind of stuff and they'd like to check it out it's a it's a fun podcast it's a pretty positive uh, podcast so please come and check it out and we've got our uh, christmas show coming up on the 13th of december which i feel comfortable plugging because you can watch it online <laughs> i think putting it online is actually what makes you feel comfortable it's a christmas show for people who believe in baby yoda more than baby jesus so it's Rove McManus talking about the perfect Doctor Who episode. It's Georgia Mooney singing songs that Carols by Candlelight would reject. So it's all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun.
0: If you like this show, uh, we have a bunch of other podcasts at our Tofop website, tofop.com. There's Tofop. There is this show, Fofop. There is Two Guys, One Cup, our AFL-adjacent podcast. Charlie's doing a little side series of that at the moment where he catches up with various people and ask them about, you know, where their passion for their teams came from and uh, of course there is a philosophy in my episode, my uh, interview series philosophy. Uh this week on the show Tom Gleeson, uh, the aforementioned Tom Gleeson <laughs> is my guest. Good photo by
1: Dyke as well, like the picture. It's one so of Fozzie's
0: absolute best and I'll give you an insight. He um cuz he does the art first and he's listening to the episode and he said the whole time it felt like that uh, Tom was just staring at him and judging him <laughs> yeah. like while he was listening to the episode and coming up with the quotes. So definitely check that out. All James's artwork is at Tofop.com as well. And if you want to support this show financially to keep coming out, we have a, a Patreon account for Tofop, which is uh, patreon.com slash Tofop. So you can and- go there. There's heaps of extra content. There is a, a web there is a like a web comic that uh, Charlie and James have done. There's heaps of <laughs> yeah anyway, there's so much good stuff there. Go and check it out.
1: And a big thank you to everyone who reached out from the last podcast as well. I had some really lovely emails. I will get to a lot of the stuff that was sent, but uh, people are really cool and it's really appreciated and uh, you know, I hope it helped out in any way that it may have helped.
0: And let's get not Manu going.
1: Not Manu. can you please not forget? Not Manu. You know what you have to do.
0: Hashtag not Manu. Every time you see an article that's been distributed about Old Mate, not Manu. Hashtag it
1: not Manu. And keep that song in your head.